Part Two, Chapters Twenty Six and Twenty Seven of How I Filmed the War by Geoffrey H. Mallins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six An Uncanny Adventure. Lieutenant B, the official still photographer, and I have been companions in a few strange enterprises in the war. But I doubt whether any have equaled in strangeness, and I might say almost uncanny adventure, that which I am about to record. In cold type it would be pardonable for anyone to disbelieve some of the facts set forth, but as I have proved for myself the perfect application of the well-known saying that truth is stranger than fiction, I merely relate the facts in simple language exactly as they happened, and leave them to speak for themselves. It was early morning on March 17, 1917, when the Germans began their headlong flight towards their Cambrai-Saint-Quentin, or Hindenburg line. When B and I hastened along the main Saint-Quentin road, troops and transports were as usual everywhere. We passed through the ruined villages of Foscocourt and Estrais, and brought our car to a standstill, about two kilometres from the village of Villers-Carbonel, it being impossible owing to the fearful road conditions to proceed further we left the car and started off to explore the unknown on either side of the road i noticed many troops in their trenches they were looking down at us as if we were something out of the ordinary until i turned to him and said is there anything funny about us these chaps seem to be highly interested in our appearance or something what is it i don't know he said let's inquire so Going up to an RAMC officer who was standing outside his dugout, I asked him if there was any news. In fact, I inquired whether there was a war on up there. Everything seemed to be so absolutely quiet. Well, he said, there was up to about three hours ago. Bosch has fairly plastered us with 5.9 and whiz-bangs. These suddenly ceased, and as a matter of fact, I began to wonder whether peace had been declared when your car came bounding up the road. How the devil did you manage it? yesterday evening the act of putting one's head over the parapet was enough to draw a few shells but you come sailing up here in a car this is about the most charming joyride i have had for many a day i replied but let me introduce myself i am mallins the official kinematographer and my friend here is the official still picture man we are here to get scenes of the german retreat but it seems to me that one cannot see bosch for dust that is villers carbonel is it not i said pointing up the road in the distance yes he replied right i said we are going there and on our way back we'll tell you all the news with a cheery wave of the hand he bade us adieu and we started on our journey the once beautiful trees which lined the sides of the road were torn to shreds and in some instances were completely cut in half by shell fire and the trunks were strewn across the road these and the enormous shell-holes made it difficult to proceed at all, but by clambering over the huge tree-trunks in and out of filthy slime-filled shell-holes and nearly tearing oneself to pieces on the barbed wire intermingled with broken branches, we managed at last to reach the village. Not a sound was to be heard. I turned to my companion. This is an extraordinary state of affairs, isn't it? In case there are any Bosch rearguard patrols, we'll keep this side of the ruins as much as possible. The village was practically on the top of a ridge of hills. I stood under the shadow of some tree stumps and gazed around. What a scene of desolation it was. I got my camera into action and took some excellent scenes, showing what was once a beautiful main road. 
broken trees flung over it in all directions like so many wisps of straw and an unimaginable mass of barbed wire entanglements then swinging my camera round i obtained a panoramic view of the destroyed village dotted here and there were the dead bodies of horses and men how long they had lain there heaven knows while examining the ruins of a building which used to be a bakehouse i received a startling surprise i was bending down and looking into an empty oven when with a rush and a clatter a fine black cat sprang at my legs with a frightened piteous look in its eyes and mewed in a strange manner for the moment i was startled for the animal clung to my breeches the poor creature looked half starved in its frenzy it might bite or scratch my leg or hand blood poisoning would be likely to follow i gently lowered my gloved hand and caressed its head with a soft purr it relaxed its hold of my leg and dropped to the ground feeling more comfortable i unfastened my satchel and taking out some biscuits gave them to the poor brute it ravenously ate them up my second surprise was to come a faint scratching and mewing sound came from behind some bread bins in a corner and as i looked the black cat sprang forward with a biscuit in its mouth in the direction of the sound i followed and gently moved the bin aside the sight there almost brought tears into my eyes lying upon some old rags and straw were three tiny kittens two were struggling around the mother cat mewing piteously and trying to nibble at the biscuit she had brought the other was dead the mother cat looked up at me with eyes which were almost human in their expression of thanks i took out some more biscuits and breaking them up in an empty tin i picked up from the floor i poured some water from my bottle onto them placed it beside the starving group and leaving a handful near the mother cat i made their retreat as snug as possible making our way again to the main road i stood by some ruins and looked away in the distance where the germans had disappeared what a difference here were green fields gorgeous woods hills and dales with winding roads sweeping away out of sight it reminded me of the feeling moses must have experienced when he looked upon the promised land here were no shell-torn fields no woods beaten out of all semblance to anything no earth upon which thousands of men had poured out their blood but here in front of us a veritable heaven come along i said let's explore if there are any bosh about they'll soon let us know of their presence let's get on to that other ridge the sum river should be there somewhere we left the village and cautiously followed the road down one hill and up the next the germans had disappeared as completely as if the earth had swallowed them up not a soul was to be seen we might have been strolling on the surrey hills i gradually reached the brow of the next ridge the sight which met my eyes was the most stimulating one i had ever seen from a picture point of view there in front of us at a distance of six hundred yards was the river somme the name which will go down to history as the most momentous in this the bloodiest war the world has ever known there it glistened winding its way north and south like a silver snake come along i said i shall get the first picture of the sum and we raced away down the road in calmer moments at home i have admitted that we were mad nobody in their right senses would have done such a thing as to rush headlong into country which might have been thick with enemy snipers and machine guns but the quietness of the grave reigned not a rifle-shot disturbed the silence 
Evidence of the German retreat met our gaze as we ran down the road. On either side were discarded material, and in a quarry on the left a German Red Cross sign was stuck up on a post, and several dugouts were burning. Smoke was pouring up from below, showing that the Hun was destroying everything. I was brought to a standstill at the sight of a mass of wreckage near the river. Smoke was issuing from it. I looked on my map and saw that it was the village of Prie. A small section was this side of the river, but the main part was on the other side. The whole place had been completely destroyed, partly I ultimately found out by our gunfire, and the remainder burnt or blown up by the Germans. The river had developed into a swampy marsh. In fact, it was very difficult to say precisely where the river and canal finished and the marshes began. I again got my camera into action and filmed for the first time the Somme River, which was directly in our line of advance. The bridges were blown up. Huge masses of stone and iron, twisted and torn and flung into the morass of weeds and mud and water, forming small dams, thus diverting the river in all directions. Several scenes on this historic spot I filmed. Then, wishing to push forward, I attempted to cross the broken bridges. By careful maneuvering, I managed to cross the first, then the second, but a large gap blown in the roadway about forty feet across, through which the water rushed in a torrent, brought me to a standstill. So reluctantly, I had to retrace my steps. Except for the sound of rushing water, the quietness was almost uncanny. The excitement of the chase was over. Then I began to realize our position. We were in a section of ground which the enemy had occupied only a few hours before and had apparently abandoned, vanished into thin air. We were at least two kilometers in front of our infantry. In fact, we had, of our own accord, keen on obtaining live scenes for the people at home, constituted ourselves an advance patrol, armed not with machine guns, swords, or lances, but with cameras. There was every possibility of our being taken for Germans ourselves by our men from a distance. The real advance guard coming up would undoubtedly open fire and inquire into credentials afterwards. The ruins across the bridge might hide enemy rifles. They might open fire any moment. I explained the situation to my companion, who had also presumably reached a decision very similar to my own, which was to return to the village of villers Carbonel as quickly and as carefully as possible. Keeping to the side of the road, we trudged back, and halfway up the hill we ran into one of the things I expected, an advance party. An officer came forward and said in astonished tones, Where the devil have you fellows come from? We've been getting photographs of the German retreat, I replied. We're the official photographers and have been halfway across the Somme, but owing to the bridge being blown up, we have come back. The Germans seem to have vanished entirely not a sign of one about anywhere well i'm blank he said this is the funniest thing i've ever known will our advance patrols constitute the official photographers for the future if so it will save us any amount of trouble well i said you can go on devil a bosch is over there anyway well he said these troops i am taking down will be the first across the sum right i said seeing immediately the scoop it would be for my film I will come back and film your men going over. It will make a unique picture. With that, we retraced our steps, and laughing and chatting about our adventure, we once again reached the Somme River. I fixed up my camera, 
and when all was ready a rough bridge was hastily made of several planks lashed together to bridge gaps in the fallen stonework and i filmed the first troops to cross the somme during the great german retreat the light was now failing so packing up my apparatus and waving farewells to the c o i turned back again b joined me the day had been a great one for us and we mutually agreed that it was a fitting sequel to the first british battle that had ever been filmed which i took at beaumont amel on july first nineteen sixteen weary in body but very much alive mentally we returned via villers carbonel to our car on my way back i wondered how the cat and her kittens were getting on the black cat had certainly brought me luck chapter twenty seven the germans in retreat to keep in touch with all the happenings on that section of the front for which i was responsible and to obtain a comprehensive record of events it was necessary to keep very wide awake movements definite and indefinite were taking place in scores of different places at the same moment to keep in touch with the enemy to work with our forward patrols to enter upon the heels of our advance guard into the evacuated villages and if possible to get there first and film their triumphal entry film our advance infantry and guns taking up new positions the engineers at work remaking the roads building new bridges over the somme laying down new railways and repairing old ones the hundred and one different organizations that were working and straining every muscle and nerve for the common cause only the favored few had the remotest idea of the enormous amount of work to be done under such conditions the road, which was no man's land yesterday morning, to the village of Villers-Carbonel was now swarming with men clearing away the accumulated debris of the battlefield. Tree trunks were moved off the road, shell holes were being filled up with bricks and branches, trenches which crossed the road were being filled in, a tank trap at the entrance to the village the shape of a broad, deep ditch, about thirty by twenty feet wide by fifteen feet deep, was being loaded with tree trunks and earth. I filmed these scenes, then hurried as fast as possible in the direction of Brie to cover the advanced work on the Somme, and then to cross to the other side and get in touch with our cavalry patrols. What an extraordinary change in the place! Yesterday a ghostly silence reigned. Now men and material and transport were swarming everywhere. I reached the river. The engineers had thrown up light temporary bridges, six in all. Huge iron girders had arrived from back behind. They had been made in readiness for the day. Our HQ had known that the Germans in their inevitable retreat would destroy the bridges, so to save time, duplicates were built in sections ready to throw across the gap. I managed to arrive in time to film several squadrons of the Duke of Lancaster's cavalry hurrying forward to harass the enemy. Cyclist patrols were making their way over. I hurried as fast as possible through the ruins of Brie and on to the ridge beyond. In the distance I watched our cavalry deploying in extended order and advanced towards a wood to clear it of the enemy rear guards. Motorcyclists with their machine guns were dashing up the hill, anxious to get into contact with the flying enemy. I filmed many scenes in this section. I looked along the road, which was the main one, into Saint-Quentin. It stretched away as far as the eye could see. The condition is certainly excellent, I thought. There would be a greater possibility of obtaining exciting scenes if it were possible to proceed in my car. The only question was whether the temporary bridges across the Somme were capable of sustaining the weight. 
the possibility of getting into villages just evacuated by the germans spurred me on so retracing my steps i reached the river again do you think the bridge will take the weight of my car i asked an officer in charge of engineers what is it daimler i replied well he said there is a risk of course but our g s wagons have been across and also the artillery so they may take your bus if you don't bounce her in crossing righto i said i will get it down hurrying across i had just reached the last bridge when with a sudden snap one of the main beams gave way all traffic was of course stopped and engineers quickly got to work replacing the broken girder it will be at least another hour sir said a sergeant in answer to my inquiry so there was nothing for it but to curb my impatience and wait and i stood my apparatus down and watched the proceedings at that moment a car came to a standstill alongside me what's wrong called out one of the occupants broken bridge i said i'm waiting to cross with my car to get films of the villages and occupants that's good said the speaker a captain i am going up to them as well intelligence i heard from our airmen this morning that they saw civilians in one or two villages a few miles out so i'm off to investigate would you care to come we shall be the first there yes rather i replied it will be a fine scoop for me to film the first meeting of british troops in the liberated villages i will follow in my car the bridge was again complete so dumping my camera aboard i followed in the wake of the captain up the hill we dashed and spun along the road at the top passing beyond the outskirts of brie we were now beyond the extreme limit of the shelling which we had subjected the germans to during their months of occupation i was now beginning to see the sights and view the atrocious system and regularity of willful destruction which had obviously been planned months before by the huns to carry out hindenburg's orders and make the whole land a desert not a tree was standing whole orchards were hewn down every fruit tree and bush was destroyed hedges were cut at the base as if with a razor even those surrounding cemeteries were treated in the same way agricultural implements were smashed mons en chaussee was the first village we entered every house was a blackened smoking ruin and where the fiends had not done their work with fire they had brought dynamite to their aid whole blocks of buildings had been blown into the air there was not sufficient cover for a dog the car suddenly came to a standstill my driver jammed on his brake and i hurried forward there at the middle of the village crossroads was another enormous mine crater one hundred feet across by about sixty feet deep it was quite impassable but the sight which astounded me was to see about twenty old women and children running up the road the other side of the crater shouting and waving their arms with joy les anglais les anglais they yelled i got my camera into position and filmed the captain and his companions as they clambered round the jagged lip of the crater and were embraced by the excited people for the first time since their captivity by the germans they had seen les anglais liberators and captives met several scenes i filmed of the enormous crater and of the cut-down fruit trees not a single tree old or young was left standing to blow up roads and hew down telegraph poles was war and such measures are justified but to destroy every tree or bush that could possibly bear fruit willfully to smash up agricultural implements to shoot a dog and tie a label to its poor body written in english 
Tommies, don't forget to put this in your next communique that we killed one dog, signed the Huns. To crucify a cat upon a door and stick a cigar in its mouth, to blow up and poison wells, to desecrate graves, to smash open vaults and rob the corpses which lay there, and then to kick the bones in all directions and use the coffins as cesspools, these things I have seen with my own eyes. Is this war? It is the work of savages, ghouls, fiends. I wondered where these people had come from, and where they had been as the whole village was burnt out. I inquired and found that the Germans two days before had cleared the village of its population and distributed them in villages further back, and had then set fire to the place, leaving nothing but a desert behind, and taking with them all the men who could work, and many girls in their teens, to what fate one may guess. These few villagers had wandered back during the day to gaze upon the wreckage of their homes, and arrived just in time to meet us at the crater. We will get along, said my companion. I want to visit Bovancourt and Vrennes before nightfall, though I am afraid we shall not do it. By making a detour round these ruins, I believe we shall strike the main road further down. I followed him through the ruins, and after bouncing over innumerable bricks and beams, we reached the main road. We passed through Estrés en Chaussée. One large barn was only standing. Everything was as quiet as the grave. Columns of smoke were still rising from the ruins. Another jamming on of brakes brought us to a standstill at a crossroads. Another huge mine crater was in front of us, and it was most difficult to see until we were well upon it. There was nothing to do but to take to the fields. Our road was at right angles to the one we were traversing. I examined the ground. It was very soft, and the newly scattered earth and clay from the mine made it much worse. If we get stuck, I thought, there is nobody about to help us out. The captain tried and got over. I yelled out that I would follow. They disappeared in the direction of Bovancourt. Backing my car to get a good start, I let it go over the edge of the road into the field. It was like going through pudding. The near wheels roared round without gripping. Then it happened. We were stuck. A fine predicament, I thought, with prowling enemy patrols about and no rifle. All shoulders to the wheel, I said. By digging and jamming wood, sacking and straw under the wheels, we managed, after three quarters of an hour, to get it out. Jove, what a time it was! And so on the road again. We will get into Bovancourt, I said. Let her go. I may meet the others. The feeling was uncanny and my position strange, for all I knew, Bosch were all around me, and later on this proved to be the case. Night was falling, and ere I reached the village it was quite impossible to take any scenes. At the entrance to the village I ran into several people who crowded round the car, crying and laughing in their relief at seeing the British arrive. Old men and women who could barely move hobbled forward to shake hands with tears in their eyes. They clambered in and around the car, and it was only by making them understand that I would return on the following day that they allowed the car to proceed. The sight was wonderful and I wish I were able to describe it better. I could not find the other car, so, assuming it had gone back, I decided to return as far as Brie and stay the night. As I was leaving the village, a burst of machine-gun fire rang out close by, followed by violent rifle shots. Let her go, I said to my chauffeur. I am not at all anxious to get pipped out here. My films must not fall into enemy hands. The car shot up the road like a streak. 
the mine crater was ahead and the possibility of getting stuck again whilst crossing made me feel anything but easy full tilt i told my driver we must trust to speed to get across on went the lower gear a right hand twist of the wheel and we were on the field the speed gradually grew less the back wheels buzzed round but still gripped a little keep her going at all costs i yelled if the car sticks here it will have to be left to lighten her a little i jumped out and pushed up behind for all i was worth mud was flying in all directions we were nearly across another twenty yards with a final roll and screech she bounded off on to the road i jumped aboard again and up the road we shot towards mons if the hun patrols had been anywhere near they must have thought a battalion of tanks were on their track for the noise my old bus made getting across that field was positively deafening on i went through mons into the ruins of its houses still glowing red and in some places flames were licking around the poor skeletons of its once prosperous farms one more mine crater to negotiate then all would be plain sailing it was now quite dark i dared not use lights not even side lamps and going was decidedly slow and risky in consequence i sat in the bonnet of the car and peering ahead called out the direction shortly a lightish mass loomed up only a few yards distant stop i yelled on went the brakes and only just in time we came to a standstill on the outer lip of a huge crater another two yards and i should have been trying to emulate the antics of a tank in sliding down a crater and crawling up the other side in my case the sliding down would have been all right but coming up the other side would have been on the lap of the gods a hundred men with ropes and myself well but that's another story back the car and give it a good run i said and let us lighten it as much as possible and soon all was ready i will go ahead and put my handkerchief over my electric light we must risk being seen you head direct for the glow i went into the muddy fields let her go i shouted with a whir and a grind i could tell it had started i stood still it was coming nearer ye gods what a row then suddenly the engine stopped and dead silence reigned it's stuck sir came a voice from the darkness i went to the car and switched my lamp onto the near wheels the car was stuck right up to the axle we shall never get out of this unaided i said put all the stuff back inside and get the hood up we shall have to sleep here tonight then to add to the discomfiture of the situation it began to rain and rain like fury and in a few minutes i was wet through to the skin the hood leaked badly and had convenient holes in alignment to one's body whether you were sitting lengthwise or otherwise inside i had resigned myself for a dismal night out two hours had passed when i heard the clatter of hoofs coming toward me in the distance and by the direction of the sound i could tell they were our men i tumbled out and ran as fast as possible to the other side of the crater and reached there just as the horsemen arrived hello i shouted hello came the reply who is it i am badly stuck or rather my car is in the mud in the field here can you hitch two or three of your horses on and help me out to the road certainly if we can sir i will guide you with my lamp by the way where are you going i said we are trying to get into touch with the bosch i have been in bovancourt i said but there are none there though i heard a lot of rifle fire just outside the village we arrived at the car and quickly hitching on a rope the engine was started up 
and with a heave and a screech it moved forward and was eventually dragged onto the road. Thank heaven, I thought. Then, thanking the men and warning them of the other delightful mine crater further down, I started off again, sitting on the bonnet. As I neared Brie, I switched on my lamp as a headlight and got held up by two sentries with their bayonets at the ready. They did not understand why a motor car should be coming back, apparently, from the German lines, and their attitude was decidedly unfriendly, till I assured them I was not a German, but only the official kinematographer out for pictures. End of Part 2, Chapters 26 and 27